Listeners of Affect Autism and Parent Perspectives get 25% off my upcoming course, DIR 120, Choosing Play, Setting Up Success Across the Lifespan, using the promo code 2023-WE-CHOSE-PLAY-25. That's 2023-W-E-C-H-O-S-E-P-L-A-Y-2-5. Live online Fridays from noon until 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time, starting Friday, November 3rd, going through to December 15th, with no class the week of American Thanksgiving. In this six-week course, participants will review season one of my floor time documentary, We Chose Play, and discuss each episode, including review, Q&A, reflection, and action steps to support your floor time experience. Listening to Affect Autism, where Affect is the number one tool we use in supporting child development through playful interactions. Welcome, listeners and viewers. I'm Daria Brown, and I am back this week with my most popular guest on Affect Autism, occupational therapist, DIR expert, and training leader, Maud LaRue of A Total Approach in Pennsylvania. And they are opening a new satellite clinic in Allentown. A Total Approach is a DIR floor time. Uh, clinic and Maud also has modlaru.com, her Modlaru Academy, where she trains professionals. She has a number of trainings in a number of things, such as tomatis and other things. So, welcome back, Maud. Thank you for having me back, Daria. It's always a pleasure. <laughs> it is always a pleasure. And I'm especially excited about today's topic imagination and visualization, because this is where I am stumped right now as a parent. You know my son, you're familiar with him. You haven't seen him in a few years, but he saw the latest Mario movie, the Super Mario movie, and he's now seen it probably 300 times because we watch it every day over and over again. And at the end of the movie, spoiler alert, if anyone hasn't seen it yet, um, Bowser launches the bullet bill to destroy the Mushroom Kingdom. But luckily Mario got his Tanuki Mario superpower and he flies after the bullet bill and he ends up getting it. We were driving to school and my son was talking about it. And I said, hmm, I wonder what would have happened if Mario didn't get the Tanuki costume. What if he wasn't the Tanuki? Implying that he couldn't have saved the day, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Nothing. So then I just tried a few other ways, but I didn't want to give him any answers. So I was like, but if he didn't have the Tanuki costume, oh no, he wouldn't have had that power. What would have happened? Nothing, nothing. The next, a few days later, I tried again when we were watching the movie. So we were watching it. And right before that happens, Princess Peach has ice flower and throws ice at Bowser and like he freezes. And then is when he comes out of the ice that he says, launch the, the bomber and Mario goes after. And so okay. I said, I wonder what would happen if Mario didn't have that Tanuki. And he said, he would have got the ice flower and frozen. So I thought, okay, he yeah. thought of something different, but it was what he had just seen Peach do. She got the ice flower and froze Bowser. So it still wasn't a new idea. It's it, He's really only able to talk about what he's seen. He isn't yet able to visualize 
imaginary things like what would happen if there's like even if you say what other kind of superpowers he'll only name the ones that he knows and that are in mario he can't think of a novel one so talk to us about imagination visualization where does it fit in in the functional emotional developmental capacities in the dir model what what are we looking for how do parents work on it full order okay um fedc four and up most of the time, okay, but it's it's a complicated deal because you're already working on it in FEDC one, two, and three to get there. So what happens in the beginning with the baby in the beginning of life is they start to explore objects, right? And they take objects in their hands and they bring it to their mouths and they feel it, they touch it, they hear it, they sound it, they they do all these sensory pieces with it. And so what the literature talks about is it it builds the object's affordances, what, what qualities are around this object. And this visualization of what this object means then in some way makes a um, an entry into the memory parts of the brain so that we can learn that this is what this object can do. This is what this object looks like. And so if I tell you, Daria, think about a tree. You can think about a tree, but your tree might be an apple tree. Mine might be a fir tree, Christmas tree, right? So the way we then visualize is based on our past experiences, but part of that is then what they call object constancy. The fact that you could have different trees, but it can still be the same object, right? So that we have. But then when you start crawling and you start exploring the world, you then get the where. So the object is the what. And then with exploring your space in the visual spatial realm, you get the where, right? And so these are separate networks that has to come together so that I build a network specifically for cup. I build a network specifically for the image of a banana. I build a specific network in my brain for the image of a book. But then in my brain, those images that I have in my memory um, comes from those different spaces. And now I can imagine that we can have a book on top of a cup or a cup on top of a book. And I can bring that image together, right? Now that bringing the images together is usually FEDC4. And that's also what we need in order to get to that visualization piece. So that's a short synopsis of that earlier development, FEDC one, two, three into four. Now, if you take that piece, um, and you now think about, you know, I always think about Greenspan when I was still listening to him in uh, every April in Bethesda, Maryland. Um, I would hear him say, you do not conquer FEDC4, and he called it level four, but FEDC4, unless you have 60 plus ideas per session. That was That was his words every single year. For him, ideation was key to FEDC4. And in fact, that's part of his mantra also for what he called FEDC4. Um, so, so right now we call FEDC4 complex problem solving, right? But we must never forget that complex problem solving, it's coming from the fact that I have an idea how next to solve a problem, right? And so that visualization that I need in order to get to ideation is then so crucial. And so some kids 
don't visualize. They don't visualize. They, if you give them a screen, a movie, which is bringing the picture to them, they will remember in long-term memory. They will memorize what that Mario did, what Princess Peach did, how the frozen piece happened. They will memorize that and they will bring you that to the table when you ask them. But to take that memory reel and activate the what and the where of the brain to bring together a new visualization picture, that's hard. That takes a whole lot of integration. Um, and the bottom layers of knowing what an object is, knowing where an object is located, bring that together in your brain without it concretely being in front of you. Those are the layers um, that and but and then from visualization, you then build the imagination. So I'm I'm hearing a few different things. I'm hearing that um, that you're talking about ideation, sixty plus ideas, but ideas may or may not be something that's from what they know versus imagination which is something new um and also that shared piece so you mentioned complex problem solving but i think it's called uh, complex communication and shared problem mm -hmm. solving yep. so the the piece in fedc4 that brings in the social aspect where you could problem solve like on your own but we're we're focused on the shared piece so how do you tie that in that's important. And so, yes, I th you know, in, the, in an effort to be simplistic, you absolutely realize all the complexity that goes around it, right? Um, and this is why this is perhaps something that not everybody always kind of talks about, but it's so crucial. Yes. If you boil down, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trace it back a little bit. If you boil it down to, okay, I have this person in my space and this person in my space is bringing a different activity to my train idea, right? Um, and then I'm looking at what that person is bringing there. And then I add something else, right? Yes, that idea can be from past memory experiences, right? Um, and yes, we all will do that. But it's also, but what's unique is that that peer gave you something different that you had to go and look in your background, what could fit that place. So in there lies the, the novel ideation. So we all will pick up, like I have an idea right now with a child in my mind that I'm thinking about as I'm talking to you. It's my past experience, right? What would be novel is how I can apply that to what we're talking about and make it real and relevant to everyone. So this, this is where the complexity overlaps in terms of memory where, and some part of it being long-term memory but the other part being active working memory, right? So the, the working memory that has to pull together the different parts, what would be relevant for this discussion right now? Um, and that would be the novel piece to apply it to. And so that is what needs to build. And that's why Greenspan said is that, yes, we keep expanding, right? One of the big techniques of FEDC4 is that you expand on my idea and I expand on your idea. Right. And that expansion, yes, comes from your experiences, but also comes from this situation asks for it to be applied in a different way. Maybe there's also a condition called aphantasia. 
And you can get something called congenital aphantasia. And these are people who simply can't think in pictures. You ask them to think about a tree, which they've seen a million times in their lives, and they will see the word tree. They won't see a picture. And that's something that is very hard to test. We don't have a test for that today. Um, you know, you basically know uh, some signs and symptoms sometimes. Like if a child is in a room and you challenge him with some playful obstruction and they can't think of what next to do and they look around the room, look around and they just say ball because they saw a ball, right? They, they're concretely looking for that next idea inside of the room. You know they're still working on building visualization. And that might be because they can't. It could be aphantasia. Um, I think there's a compilation of autistics that definitely struggles with aphantasia. I just don't think we have a good enough way to test it yet. Um, but there's also the, the, the way that the what and the where hasn't come together in the brain yet in those earlier developmental levels so that we need a little bit more strength and push in that area in order to, to get that imagination to work. So that's one part. So I'm going to refer back to your social part and what we need to do about the thoughts and ideas of others. Well, this visualization piece, um, which links up to the imagination piece, is also the piece that's going to be involved in understanding the theory of mind of somebody else, to have a social perspective on the other. And this is why FEDC4, that, that capacity, is so incredibly, incredibly important and difficult to bridge into from three to four for many autistics um, and others. I, I struggle sometimes with kids with ADHD as well to get into, into that, that full expansion of that. The, um, so, so when we, um, when we have this person sitting in front of us and that person is showing us an amount of affect, right? And they go, oh, right? And we see that affect. Our theory of mind has to take us to a place of visualization to understand that that, that what they just showed me is linked up maybe to an element of surprise or an element of what just happened here, maybe confusion or, you know, but at least some exploration of what that picture looks like in the brain. And then to be able to say, hmm, how do I respond now? She looks a little bit surprised by what I just said. So now how do I respond back? Very, very deep level of work. And of course, and this is why I said in the beginning, it starts in FEDC4, but it's the social and emotional piece goes through FEDC5 and FEDC6 as you get a little bit deeper into this place. It's complex. So I'll refer people back to the podcast we did called Theory of Mind is Developmental, because I know that if I give my son a look and I'll say like, what did you just say? Or something like that. Right away, he's like, no, you're not mean, mama. Like maybe he said, you're mean or or something. And I'll say, what did you say? No, no, you're not mean, mama, or whatever. He'll, he's able to see, okay, she gave me a stern look or she said something and I need to adjust. So there's a basic element of theory of mind there, but it's developmental, like we talked about in our last podcast. So it's not something that you have or you don't, like there's different gradients of it. Um, right. If he saw me, maybe uh, something bad happened and I was sitting there crying, 
he might understand, oh, mama's sad, but he wouldn't necessarily know what to do. Um, well, there's a lot of adults that don't know what to do either, Maud. <laughs> they stop <laughs> crying. But um, that's just the first example that came to mind. But, you know, there's different um, aspects of understanding, like what is another person feeling? So if my son is very impulsive, if he has some kind of aggression, feeling of aggression, sometimes right before a bowel movement or something, he might be a little bit out of control. He doesn't have full control and he's acting impulsively and he kicks someone else. He may not be thinking like that's really going to hurt that child. Mm. He can't think that in the moment because he was so impulsive. So can you talk a little bit about that? Well, you know what? And that is a beautiful connection because uh, when you talked earlier about the example of how he could in the moment give you a response and he they took the long-term response, right? The long-term memory response and gave it to you. Um, it was still cool that he could actually connect it though, even though it was from his past memory. That's actually quite positive because some kids can't even make that connection, right? Um, for that moment in time. So he was able to connect it to, there was something about what you said that he could connect and he was giving you a response. Um, even though we know that there's a little bit of peace there that we would still like to be stronger. The, um, Kids who have trouble with visualization often also have difficulty with understanding the passage of time. It usually links up in the same continuum of, of development um, as that they don't quite get what's, what's the past, what's the present, what's the future. Um, and so the process of, of thinking about what could have happened what would have happened, what should have happened, that concepts are very, very tough for them to negotiate. It's like their brain doesn't have a, 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 a walkable pattern on a continuum to, to bring up the pictures. Oh, okay, this is what Mario did in the beginning of the movie. And then he went and he did this and whatever. The, and this is where we are currently before we just quickly had dinner and came back to the movie, right? Um, so having that sort of continuum is not very possible and it, it it hangs into the impulsivity that they just would simply say the first thing that comes to mind they would simply do the first thing that comes to mind because the the waiting process of figuring out you know what i can respond better if i do it this way that doesn't happen it just is that first response that they want to do and so working on visualization as you're also working on timing crucial crucial right so I'm thinking of when I say, he says, when are you picking me up, mama? And, you know, maybe I'll say three. He'll say, no, I want you to pick me up at six. And I'll say, no, I'm picking up at three. No, seven. He doesn't realize, like, I assume he wants me to pick him up earlier. That's what he's saying. But he's he just isn't getting that passage of time yet. And I do think he finds it difficult when I say, you know, he's a little bit better now at answering what did you do in school today sometimes he's like i don't know but then he'll say we made cookies or something he'll he'll be able to say it so he's starting to be able to recall events a little bit better than before um he understands the concept of a calendar you know that's more of a cognitive thing and he always asks questions what happens on friday what happens on saturday what happens then what happens now like over and over again so he's trying to build that concept but it's interesting that that ties in with the visualization. And what we didn't mention is that that concept of time comes in functional, emotional, developmental capacity six, 
which, you know, again, he, he's peeking into five and six and little islands, but we're still stuck in four. Um, so yeah, that's very interesting. So my guess is to, to practice and get him to strengthen these capacities, I'm going to want to play out scenes. So I have the bullet bill. I have Mario. I have Peach and Bowser. Okay, Bowser launched the bullet bill. And then I imagine the first thing he's going to do is make Tanuki Mario go and get it. But I'm going to say, oh, nope, this time he got the cat suit <laughs> and see what he does. Like play out different types of scenarios. Right. Is that? Right. You know, you start with them playing out the scenario exactly as it is, right? As they can have it from the long-term memory. That is a strength. And it's a strength that one can use. And of course, DR for time is a strength-based model, right? So you want to use that, that that's already beautifully there. And then you you put little pieces in place that doesn't belong. A little playful obstruction, of course, in the sweetest way possible, so that they will stay sympathetically at a nice place to handle this this new challenge, right? And so, um, but then you'll add those, you know, you'll bring in a character that maybe doesn't belong to the scene. Um, maybe they're part of the movie, but not that scene. Or maybe you sometimes later you bring in a character that doesn't even belong to the movie, right? Um, and then if they throw it across the room because it doesn't belong, which does happen, I have a kid in mind right now, I just say, oh, and Mario went flying, right? I just bring it into like he would intend for that to be the purposeful piece of that. But I know what his mind is saying. His mind is saying that doesn't belong. Okay, Miss Maud, you know, <laughs> a little bit better next time, Miss Maud, right? But then I would just lay it there. And then after a while, I would just go back and pick it up again and I'll put it back in there again right um and that that playfulness is what is so incredibly important because this is very challenging it's very very challenging some autistics they carry literally video reels in their mind and it plays all day plays all day they video it just reels right and for them it's a way to keep their brain um stimulated and occupied and in a certain space where they feel comfortable and where it is, it's a good place of safety, right? As we all seek safety and security. Um, and then if you can break into that, that video reel and break into that place where, where they are um, through the through buying the characters, as you did, um, you know, this is Mario, this is princess peach. If you can break into that and make it a little bit more three-dimensional in front of them, um, it does help to bring those pieces to bear. So lots and lots of play, lots of practice. Um, but there is a yeah. game. There is a game that you can also play if your child is um, understanding language. Um, if you have a child not understanding language, this will be hard. And so you can do it with verbal uh, kids who are very highly verbal or nonverbal, where you can have them write if they are writing or type if they are typing, right? Um, and so we do what we call brown bag games. And so um, we would do a show of, of hiding a, um, in front of them, we'll hide a toy that they can see inside of a bag. I call it brown bag because that's what we used to do as kids, but any bag will do. So the... Um, and then we put this character in there and then we say, you have to guess what's inside of this bag. Now, of course, they've already seen it when they have exposed it the first time. So they're going to say, it's a cat. And you pull it out and you say, oh, it is a cat, right? Like you're acting all surprised. And then you titrate it where they don't see what you put into the bag. And then you say to them, hmm, you have to guess what's inside. You can ask me 20 questions. 
So it's a good language exercise, you know, a nice language because there's a lot of descriptors and things. But it's also as they ask the questions, is it hard? Is it soft? Can you eat it? Can you not? When they ask it, they have to keep forming a picture in their mind. But what could possibly be in that bag? Right. Until finally they say, a rabbit. And you say, not quite, but it's almost there. It's almost there. And you can maybe give them a little visualization and say, uh, it's got much shorter ears than a rabbit, right? And then they have to think about what animal could have shorter ears, right? And you'd see how they met the how the visualization can come alive. It's a lovely semi-structured game that you can add into the play or in a separate space of your your day as a parent. Um and it's but it's it's important to train them kind of before you just hide things for them. Um, and then um, it could become a sibling game. The one who guesses first what's inside of this bag can have it, right? Um, and it becomes a motivation. It becomes something. And it's just a beautiful way of just training the the, the brain to, to start visualizing. Another activity that we do uh, to help is we do drawing where the child may say to me in the in the room, he'll say to me a new idea of say, he, a cow, right? Then I pick up quickly the whiteboard, you know, that's always kind of like laying around and say, okay, okay, what does a cow look like, right? And then I will draw it, right? And then I will say to him, where do you want me to start the head? And then they point. And then I, and I draw the head. Now I'm not a big drawer, so don't think you have to be the biggest artist around. And then, and then as they think about what a cow looks like, they explain to you how to draw it, right? And it's beautiful. You can also do it the other way around, you know, where you ask them to draw if they're big drawers. Um, you know, I've had kids who are beautiful at cartoon drawings, much better than I will ever be. And I will say to them, hmm, I'm thinking of a blah, blah, blah. Um, and then have them draw it. And then that's ways of, of exp exploring the whole visualization piece. And you, you have to basically have this basic piece before you can have the theory of mind to understand the thoughts and feelings of somebody else. It's got to be something here first that my brain is able to conjure up these ideas before I'm able to sort of think about, hmm, what is your thought and idea? What's my picture of your thought and idea? And again, I'll refer people back to the Interoception podcast because I know um, you mentioned in season two of We Chose Play, which features uh, my son at Maud's clinic, A Total Approach. Um, you mentioned that you have to understand your own feelings and you, and everything inside of you before you can understand them in another person too. So I'll, I'll put a right. link to the Interoception podcast as well for that. Um, and I'm I'm also thinking of many parents in the parent support group that I facilitate for ICDL saying, oh, well, my child would not be able to do that, like the brown bag thing. Uh, they would not be able to do the drawing thing. And, and that may mean that they're still working in the earlier capacities and they will get there. Just keep strengthening those earlier capacities, because I know right. a number of years ago, my son would not have been able to do that either. And he can do that brown bag game now, but it's, it is a struggle and a challenge for him. He does want to just walk away and give up if it's too hard. So you yeah. really have to just, you know, really go where he feels success and make it fun for him and then slowly make it a little bit harder, sort of scaffolding that piece right. um, until they can do harder and harder challenges. And, and, and the thing is also, if you're doing the brown bag game, 
making sure it is something you're following their lead with what they're interested in. Like I would put a Mario character in there and say, this comes from one of your favorite movies, right? But you know what I picture? I already thought of that. And I thought what he's going to do is he's just going to go through the list of characters in his head. He's just going to say, is it Mario? Is it Luigi? Is it Toad? Is it Princess Peach? Is it Daisy? Is it Rosalina? Like, instead of asking questions about what they yeah, look like. That's true. That's true. And say, nope, I'm not going to tell you who it is until you you tell me what they look like. And then he might say green or something, but I don't know if he would say, is it green or what color is it? Like, I don't know if he would think to say yeah. that. Yeah. But so he probably still needs to work on the language part. And this is why I said, you, you need some language in order to get this one down. And of course, language development coincides, of course, with all of these other pieces we're talking about. But I yeah. think for those families who feel like their child cannot quite do that a type of activity level yet to work towards that is a good idea. But the way you start is always starting with what they are interested in. And so if they love Cinderella, get those characters. If they love Beauty and the Beast, get those characters. If they like Mario, get those characters. And base, And if they're not really interested in playing with it first, I take it with them to the lunch table. And I'll bring in the character and put the plate out for that character. And, and they look at you like, what's going on here? This doesn't belong. But you're just exposing them, you know. Um, and then I'll bring it in my therapy room. I take that favorite character and I put it on the, his favorite swing before he even comes in the room, right? And then I and then he looks at it and like, okay. Um, and sometimes I throw it around. Sometimes they take to it and put it on their lap and don't do much with it. But you you're starting to expose them. Because, as we said before, the what and the where. They got to explore objects and also explore the space with, within which these objects can appear in order to build this visualization skill. You need those two trains of thought processing, of developmental skill, rather. Um, and the other piece also is, as you said right in the beginning, Dario, recent experiences is the most powerful right because of the continuum of time because of that piece it's also if they went to the beach with you on sunday and now it's monday evening and you're doing your your floor time session make a beach scene can we remember what we did first can we remember and what happened then and then oh and then daddy forgot to put in some gas and mommy yelled at him because we didn't have enough gas ah, ha, ha. right and so having that sort of those intense moments the moment that was very happy and maybe even a little bit stressful you know because we are families and things happen um Bringing that into the play in a very recent experience, a dentist appointment, a doctor's appointment, going to the mall, going to the Please Touch Museum. Experiences drive the long-term memory, but also drives the what and the where, because you're in a different environment and you have to link those things up and you have to link it up with this happened on the weekend, which is past. And now we're, we're reliving it in the present right so can you see where i'm going so when you when you explore those pieces together with a child everyday experiences this helps to build helps to build and get them ready for something like this brown bag game excellent um another thing i thought of is saying hmm what would i do right now if i were princess peach or 
what do you think Bowser would do right now? Right. Like in a situation to try and just get him to start to think about different things. Yeah. Because he, and, and he loves that... talking about Mario characters. So he's interested. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and sometimes even that language may be a little too complicated, you know, to say to him, oh, you know, I would do um, Bowser, Bowser, talk to me. What do I do? Right. And just to kind of sort of just bring, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So you're not really asking the child to perform on a question, but you're basically just acting it out. Right. And yeah. then it becomes part of the, the fun is then, okay, then maybe he can speak up as Bowser. Maybe he won't. Maybe he'll pick up a Bowser character and talk, the, you know. Probably script lines that Bowser said in the right. movie. <laughs> That's right. And you take it and you take one word out of that script and you make it something else, you know, and say, ah, okay. So that, so I have to jump, right. When that may not have been part of the movie, right. So you can, so you just keep sort of pulling what they give you and just that little increments forward, right. Just moving it forward. Um, and, but this is this beautiful work. That's why I'm really not against kids having screen time. I'm just about them having too much screen time. The CDC is now saying no screen time before the age of two. And after that, maybe a maximum of two hours a day in total. Right. Um, and then they still say between two and six, I think they say, with parent supervision. That you are watching with the child what they're watching. And um, so, yeah, so I think, I mean, that's not to talk about screen time today, but it is sometimes those movies that wakes up the imagination, those stories. And I mean, storytelling, um, you know, when, if you are reading stories to your child, right, don't tell them what you think about the story. Let their mind go with what they think about the story. Don't give them the teaching of that. And the other piece is, I sometimes say to the parents, you're looking at the story, you're reading it, and they may not be looking, they might be lying in the bed listening to you. And then you say, hmm, I wonder what this picture is going to look like when you get to a certain part in the story, you know. I wonder what this person's face will look like when that happened, right? And so you're opening the door to visualization, opening that door, hmm. Uh, it's like you said, you know, also when you said a different ending to the movie, what would have happened if that did not happen, right? If you had to write your own ending to the story, what idea would you have, you know? Um, all of those types of things, the reading, of course, if, if reading is part of the, of the mantra of the parent, I prefer that much more than screen time because you have to let your own imagination go as you're reading. Right. And the more animated the parent can be, the more that can bring to life those little juices that we need to get that visualization. So yeah, I'm glad you, know. you brought that up. Too bad we brought it up at the end, but at least we brought it up that, yes, when you read, you have to imagine everything that the person is saying in the mind. So um, that's another thing. And, and just even making up stories I, at bedtime, I could say one time Mario and Luigi did this and that and just make up a new story and, that's right. and talk about it as if it was a book. Yeah. That's right. That's right. That's right. You know, I wrote a book while you were at school today. Can I tell you my book story? Right. And so, um, and you just, you just painting the picture for the child to start painting his own pictures. And it's, and, and really 
this is this is kind of a um I wouldn't say a new mantra, but it's one I always my one mantra is always if a child could, they would, right? Um, but this one is too. Today, this moment in time is the scaffold for tomorrow. Mm. So what you build in capacity today is what's going to ensure that your future worry is being worked on. Yes. And so this is part of that. This is These experiences are so crucial. If we don't have imagination, it's very hard to have reading comprehension. It's very hard to visualize something one day when I'm doing my academics and we say the kid remains literal, right? Um, that, 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 that depth. And I mean, the beauty of how much the world has to offer is so not there when we don't have imagination. We need it for writing essays. We need it for reading. We need it for so many of the school types of um, achievement skills that we need. It's it's a big deal. Let no one ever tell us that play is not educationally relevant. Absolutely. So untrue. Well, thank you, Maud, for sharing all of this with us. Um, I will put links in the blog post at affectautism.com. Look up visualization. Uh, I can't wait to hear what topic we're going to cover next, Maud. And for those that are interested, ICDL's annual International DIR Floor Time Conference is coming up in a week. Maud will be presenting there. I can't wait to hear your presentation, Maud. I will be presenting too, if people want to see my presentation. Uh, the schedule is up at icdl.com slash conferences. So um, you can hear more from Maud there. Thank you, Maud. And um this is this will be very helpful for me. I can't wait to report back what I do with my son and how he responds. Beautiful. Always good, Daria. Thank you for having me. Get 15% off any DIR 101 course and introduction to DIR and DIR floor time through ICDL.com by using the promo code AFFECTA15. That's A-F-F-E-C-T-A-1-5. Until next time, here's to choosing play and experiencing joy every day.